earlier this year, prior to the pandemic hitting in March, uh, we looked at the letters to the seven churches. And now we're going to move into the rest of the book of Revelation, uh, beginning in chapter 4. And as you turn your way there in your Bible, I'd like to also turn your attention to the need for this chapter in your life and in my life. Uh, to begin with, in the letters to the seven churches, we saw that there was one church that had lost its first love. You saw another church that was full of people who were about to be killed for their faith. Uh, you saw a church seduced by a false teacher and false teaching. An another that was led by a false prophetess into sexual immorality and idolatry. Another church that was dead, one that was persecuted, and one that was lukewarm. And I believe this, that it is very possible for the spiritual state of us as individual people to parallel in important ways the spiritual state of these churches which Jesus addressed in the first century. Uh, it's very possible that some of you today uh, came to worship and you have found that your spiritual life and following Jesus has lost some of its former luster. And the beauty and flame of your passion for Jesus Christ has burned down to embers. Maybe you're struggling not with martyrdom necessarily. Very few of us will probably be martyrs for the cause of Christ, at least if we stay in this country. But you are struggling with making the sacrifices in your life that you know that Christ is calling you to make for His sake. Maybe you've had a bunch of time at home during the pandemic, and because of that, you fell into one of the innumerable rabbit holes that is present on the internet, and you have gotten consumed with various kinds of conspiracy theories and these things that have very little to do with truth or with exalting Jesus, but have a lot to do with building up a following for the people who are sharing all of this stuff. Maybe you find yourself increasingly drawn to sinful pleasures of various types and kinds. Maybe like the church at Laodicea, you're just bored. By everything. It's not that you have decided not to follow Christ anymore, but you're just not all that excited about the idea. You're just lukewarm. Or maybe, and this is my hope for all of us, you came this morning to worship either online or here in the building because you are passionately following Christ your, li your life is lit aflame by the joy and the passion that you have for following Him, and you came because you need the encouragement that only worship of the living God can provide to keep going and to keep doing, regardless, though, of where you are. This chapter has something for you. And uh, here in Revelation chapter 4, there is some... Uh, wildly exciting things for us to see. And I want to read it for you. Before I do, let's pray. Father, I do pray 
that we would be lit aflame with fresh fire from the altar of the living God. That a fresh wind from the Holy Spirit would blow in our hearts. And that as we behold the glory and the power and the majesty and the omnipotence of the living God, who by His grace brought us into His family through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, to take away the penalty of our sin and bring us into His own family. Father, as we are gripped by these things, may we give You the honor and praise and glory that You are due. May You be exalted. May we be forever changed as we encounter You again afresh in Your Word. And Father, may we go out of here different than we came in. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is what the Word of God says. Revelation chapter 4, beginning verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne, and he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne on each side of the throne are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy! Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things. And by Your will, they existed and were created. May the Lord our God add His blessing to the reading of His Word. Amen? John has seen, if you look at this book so far, John has seen a vision of Jesus Christ the ascended and resurrected Lord of the church. And He delivers seven different letters to the seven churches of Asia. And now John gets a new vision. And the new vision is of a door that opens up into heaven. What does it look like? I have no idea. 
but a door opens up. And the same voice that he hears in chapter 1, this voice that calls out like a trumpet that he heard in the first vision, calls him to come up here and to see what will happen after this. Now the words after this are important. They occur several times in this book. In fact, in chapter 1, what you see is first of all, John's vision of Jesus that he sees on the Isle of Patmos. And then in chapter 1, I believe it's verse 18, Jesus gives uh, John an outline of this whole book, this whole vision that he sees. He says, write down, John, the things you have seen. In other words, the things you've seen so far. And then he says, write down the things which are the letters to the seven churches that I'm about to give you, chapter 2 and 3. And the things that will happen after this. Well, when is after this? After this is after John writes these things down. Well, when is that, Pastor? After this. <laughs> uh, and I'm really, I'm not trying to be cutesy about that. Because Jesus said that no one knows the day or the hour that you will begin to recognize the signs of Jesus coming, but that you will not have to wonder whether or not Jesus came. Because Jesus said that as lightning that flashes in the east is visible even in the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, wherever you are, you'll be able to see Jesus show up. And you will not have to wonder about it. We won't, we won't have theological debates over whether or not Jesus already came. We will know for sure whether or not He has come. And many people see in this verse, come up here, an image of what will happen, I believe, at the end of all things. There will be, I believe, two returns of Jesus Christ. There will be one for His church and another with His church. We'll, we, uh, we don't see the, the rapture of the church described in chapter 4, but what we do see is the church ascended in this chapter, and we don't see it mentioned present on the earth in any of the chapters up to chapter 19. And so many people think, and I am one of them, that that the church is, is raised from the dead and present with Jesus during this period that we're about to see in chapter 6 to 19 called the tribulation, the time of great trouble. When God turns His attention toward the nation of Israel and begins to redeem them, as He told us that He would, in Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, that God would one day redeem Israel and work in Israel as the primary conduit of His revelation and salvation. But while that is happening, we who are part of the church of Jesus Christ are with the Lord in heaven. Now, how many people of God are there? There's one people of God. There's one olive tree, as Romans said. Well, there's not a hard distinction between what God necessarily is doing with Israel and what God is doing with the church, but God has a salvation plan for Israel that is distinct, and it will be realized 
during this period that we're going to see that will take place after this. Now, do I think that Revelation chapter 4 uh, and verse 1 is about, uh, is giving us necessarily an indication of all of these things? Not necessarily. But many people have seen an image there in chapter 4 verse 1 of what will happen to the church as happening to John. And if you see one there, that's fine. Lots of other people agree with you. Uh, I'm not sure how hard to lean on that. But the point is, is that John sees and he is caught up into heaven. And when he is there, he sees some amazing things. The text says, at once I was in the Spirit. In other words, this is a vision from the Holy Spirit of God. John does not bodily fly up to heaven and see these things. God reveals it to him by his Holy Spirit while John is still physically present here on earth on the Isle of Patmos. This is a spiritual vision. He's not, as I said, transported. And what he sees is truly amazing. He sees, first of all, a massive throne. By the way, how big is God? I don't know. How big is His throne? You can let your imagination totally run wild here. And it is probably not as impressive and glorious as what John saw. Whatever you have imagined in your mind, imagine bigger and grander. And that is what John sees. And probably, in fact, our imagination can't even comprehend it because John doesn't ever in total describe it. Do you notice that? He just says, I saw a throne and Him who was seated on it. He never identifies who that is because John knows. And he expects us to know too that the living God sits enthroned. What is what does that being look like? It says that his appearance was like jasper and carnelian. Jasper is a semi-precious stone. And depending on what other minerals are uh, included in it, it changes the color. And so jasper is a stone that can be virtually any color. It's most commonly red, but it can also be yellow or blue or green or brown. So what color was the jasper that John saw? We don't know. We're not told. What color is carnelian? Well, again, carnelian is a semi-precious stone uh, that's commonly red or orange. It can be a variety of colors. Emeralds are almost always green. And John sees a green jewel-like rainbow around the throne. And the point is, is that emanating from God's throne, there is this multicolored, glorious light that surrounds and pervades and emanates out of the presence of God. What does God look like? He's never described. Can't be described, I don't believe. In the, within the limitations of language. But you can really, again, let your mind run wild here in your imagination. And whatever you imagine, it is probably too small and too limited and too lacking in glory to 
to really encapsulate what it is that John sees. And also emanating from the throne are flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. Ever been outside in a lightning storm? I know all of you, because you're good Midwesterners, have been outside when there's a tornado warning. Right? Because that's what we do. We hear there's a tornado warning, we go out and we look to see if we can see it and how close it is. Right? Because, I mean, i got to know, if I'm going to go to the basement, is it going to come nearer or not? It's going to go by 10 miles to the north. I'm not going to the basement. Right? I'll ride this thing out on my back porch and watch it go. Um, but, I, but in a lightning storm, it's also amazing to be out during that. And you can see the lightning flash across the sky. And you can sometimes, if it's close, you can literally feel the thunder. And John sees the glory of God and lightning flash out from the throne. And he feels and hears the thunder. Because this is the Lord of creation seated on His throne. And and at the foot of the throne, there are also seven burning torches representing the fullness of the Spirit of God. Now remember, in reality, how how many Holy Spirits are there? One. So why does John see seven two different times? It is because in the Scripture, the number seven is the number of completion, of fullness. And so... John is emphasizing and he sees the the fullness of God in all of His deity. The completeness of the Holy Spirit in His power and glory. Uh, and, And also he sees this massive expanse that from John's perspective, and the word like is doing a lot of work here. What he sees is like a massive crystal ocean below the throne. This is the thing that when, when Moses and the elders of Israel went up on Mount Sinai that they saw and they described as the crystal pavement underneath the throne. This is the thing that, the, that the, uh, the, what was called the sea in the temple is meant to imitate in a finite way. You had this massive in the temple of Solomon uh, bronze Uh, bowl, basin. And it was for the cleansing of the priests as they came to minister before God. As you're making these sacrifices and you're cutting the throats of these animals, what were you continually? Dirty. And so you continually had to go and be washed and be cleansed in this ocean of God's cleansing power. And John sees the real thing that that basin was just a, a, a finite imitation of. Of the ocean of God's cleansing power stretching out before Him. And he says it's a, it's a, it's a, crystal, it's a sea clear as crystal that stretches out under the throne of God. And in addition to the throne, there are 24 elders, it says, seated on 24 thrones, clothed in white and wearing golden crowns. Now, I believe that that number 24 is significant. How many sons of Israel were there? Twelve. Leading to 12 tribes 
and all of the Old Testament people of God are part of that assembly. And then you also see how many apostles were there? Twelve. And and they they together form the New Testament people of God. And you see them together at the throne of God. Because how many people of God are there? One. There is one people of God. And they are all united together. And how they are clothed and what they are doing is significant. They are wearing, first of all, the crown of life that is promised in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. To him who overcomes, I will give the crown of life. They're wearing it. They're dressed in white robes of the pure and holy as promised in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. And they're also ruling. They're seated on thrones to rule the nations as Jesus promised in Revelation chapter 2, verses 26 and 27. And by the way, men and women, boys and girls, you have the opportunity to be among this group. Because this is not a limited group. This is a representation of a much bigger multitude of people. The people who, by faith in Jesus Christ, overcome their enemies, the world, their own sinful nature, their flesh, and the devil who stands opposed to us. And this vision of this destiny ought to captivate you. It ought to encourage you to put away sin, to root out false teaching, to endure through trials and persecutions, to love Jesus with fresh fire, for His grace and His mercy, to be faithful until death, to hold fast to what is good, that you might sit on these thrones alongside the Lord. Because these are the rewards that are promised to the seven churches and their members. And men and women, whatever issue you are struggling with today, remember I said, there's something for you in this text. You are meant to see your right here in this text. As among those who receive their reward for your faithfulness to following Christ. As among those who will rule and reign in a white robe with the crown of life on your head. But there are many trials between here and there. And this text is meant to encourage us along the way that this is coming. And in addition to the 24 elders, do you see these creatures? These are amazing. They are four-winged, John calls them living creatures, each with six wings and all covered with eyes. One is like an ox, uh, one is like a lion, one is like an eagle, and one is like a man. Now notice, John does not say that they are these things, but that they are like them. Now, you see two other places where these creatures are described. Uh, Ezekiel, in his opening visions by the Kabar Canal, while he is in exile, in the opening chapters of the book of Ezekiel, sees these creatures. And they're associated with the throne of God, just as they are here. And Ezekiel, interestingly, sees each of the creatures have four faces, and these are the four faces that each of them have. Uh, maybe John's perspective and what he's seeing is different. He only sees one face, 
Isaiah sees these same creatures and he calls them seraphim, which is a Hebrew word that means burning ones. The ones who are lit on fire with the glory of God. But these are the same creatures. Ezekiel calls them cherubim. They are the creatures who were who replicas of were set on top of the the uh, ark of the covenant on what was called the mercy seat, and there were two of them with wings outstretched that covered the ark of the covenant that were gigantic. Their wingtips touched one another and touched the interior walls of the holy of holies, and underneath it, the ark of the covenant set. And it's referred to in Chronicles as the chariot. That these are the things that are what God's presence rests upon. They are glorious beings. They represent God's power over creation. The ox is the strongest of the domestic animals. The lion is king of the wild beasts. The eagle is the king of birds. And man is the pinnacle of creation. And the eyes with which these beings are covered, and notice they're covered inside and out with eyes. They speak to us of God's omniscience over all creation. He sees and He knows all things at all times in every realm of creation. Now, you can let your imagination again run a bit wild here. And it probably is not wild enough. I mean, these creatures are incredible. And they are immense in power. When Isaiah sees these creatures in his great vision, uh, when God calls him into ministry in Isaiah chapter 6, he says that at the sound of their voices, the foundations of the temple were shaken. Now, I've not been to Israel and seen it, but my understanding is that the foundations on which the temple was built go down at least 50 feet below where the Ark of the Covenant sat. 50 feet. And some of the stones at the, basis of, at the base of that are over 39 feet long. Now, I don't know how heavy those rocks are. And I'm not sure that even an archaeologist can tell you how they got them there. Because none of them were quarried on site. They were transported there from where they were quarried and then laid. And by the way, how heavy is a 39-foot-long stone that is dozens of feet long and, and taller than my head? How much does that weigh? I don't know. But I think it's safe to say more than you can lift. And at, and at the sound of their voices, Isaiah says, the foundations of the temple were shaken. How powerful are these creatures? Remember, there's just four of them. I would submit to you 
that they are probably the most powerful beings in all of creation apart from God Himself. And they spend their time day and night, what does the Scripture say? Crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. This is known as the Trisagion. The three times holy. Exaltation of God. All of their power, all of their majesty, all of their glory is directed up to the one who sits on the throne. And we can be sure of this, that the foundations of God's temple in heaven were not shaken even then by their voices. But they do have another effect, which is to cause the people of God to fall down before Him in worship. You see that? Look at your Bible again. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for You created all things and by Your will they existed and were created. The 24 elders answer the call of praise from the living creatures and they fall down before the Lord God Almighty enthroned above them and they cast their golden crowns at His feet. Because even the honors that they have received as faithful followers and children of God are sufficient only to give Him praise and to offer in worship. They offer all that they have received, all that they are in worship to the Lord God Almighty and they say, worthy are you. Worthy are you to receive glory and honor and power. They are not giving to God something He does not deserve. He is worthy of all that they have to give Him. And word of encouragement, men and women, for you and I at this point, Everything belongs to Him anyway. You see that in your Bible? Were you created how many things? All things. And by your will they existed and were created. And here, the pinnacle of God's creation, the four living creatures that burn with the glory of God and the redeemed from all times and places, fall down before God in worship day and night, meaning continually. Round the clock, they are engaged in worship of the living God. And this, I know it's rainy outside. I know it's wet. I know that it was maybe for some of you hard to get here this morning and get motivated to even be here. I'm grateful that you're here. I'm grateful that you've joined us in worship either online or, or here in the building.
But let me ask you a question about this awe-inspiring vision of worship. Is this real to you? Is this real to you? I mean, in one sense, it really doesn't matter, does it? Because God is going to be worshipped the same in heaven whether you think this is real or made up. Whether this grips you with uh, the awe-inspiring majesty and glory and power of God or whether it doesn't, God is still going to be God and God is still going to receive worship because He is worthy of it. But the reason I ask if it is real to you or not is because it matters a great deal to you and to the outcome of your life. Whether you see this as real. The four living creatures are, are going to be there shouting out their praise to the holy, eternal, immortal God regardless. And the saints from all times and places are really going to be there too, just as they are right now, giving glory to their Lord and going. But if this vision of who God is is real to you, then it is life-changing. It's absolutely life-changing. Because if you... Um, if you find this to be more real than the world that you see right now, then it is impossible to be bored with your faith in Jesus Christ. Because you can, you can characterize this Scripture and the scene it describes as a lot of things, but you cannot characterize it as boring. Amen? In fact, if... In fact, if you saw this, you might use another word. You might say terrifying, but not boring. And you, if you are among those who overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil, as Jesus exhorts us to do in chapter 2, chapter two and chapter 3, and I assure you, you will never be bored being in the presence of the living God. If you're afraid to sacrifice your life for Jesus Christ and to lay it all down for Him, can I assure you, if this is real to you, you will count it worth the cost. Because it is worth whatever it costs. It is worth whatever suffering you have to endure to be clothed in white, crowned, with glory and seated on one of these thrones in the presence of God. Can I assure you that if you've lost your first love for Christ, or if you're ensnared by sinful pleasures or worldliness or false teaching has led you away from the purity of devotion to Christ, that the expectation that one day I'm going to be there and I'm not only going to see it, I'm going to be it. I'm going to be one of these people clothed in white and seated on a throne and wearing the crown of life on my head. 
that that can fill your life up with passionate devotion. That that can cause the things of this world, however great they might be in a moment or for a second, to pale in comparison. And to remind us that whatever there is in this life, that this is more real. This is more permanent. And this is where I'm going. Men and women, if you have wandered away in one way or another, can I encourage you to repent? The vast crystal ocean of God's cleansing is freely available to wash away all your sin if you repent. And you can find forgiveness and healing in Christ. And He can set you on the right path once again. If you have lost your fire for Christ or your willingness to sacrifice things in your life for His sake, can I encourage you to repent and to be cleansed? And can I encourage us all on this rainy Sunday to lift our eyes up from all the things that are going on in our world today? And is there anything going on that's a little confusing and scary right now? Yes. There's a long list of things, right? But this is more real. And all of the things of this world will one day and probably soon pass away and be forgotten. I heard somebody say, did the murder hornets happen? I feel like we missed the murder hornets, right? That was months ago that people were talking about that. Because all the things in this world pass away. The news cycle turns and moves on to another topic. And all of a sudden, people are consumed with something else. But if you are consumed by the greatness and glory of God and live for Him to declare that He alone is worthy with your lips and with your life, you will not be disappointed. Lift your eyes to heaven. Lift your eyes to the One who is seated on the throne. Recognize that there is a robe and a crown and a thorn and a throne awaiting you. And live for that. And fall down before Him in worship. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing holy, holy, holy together. And as we do... Just allow your mind to connect the words of that song to this scene because it's written based on this chapter. And then just add your praise to the one in heaven over the one who is holy, 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 who is worthy of all of our worship, who was and who is and who is to come. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are indeed worthy of our praise. You are eternally worthy of our praise. Father, I pray that we might be so captivated by Your glory that we cannot do other 
than give you praise with our lips and our life. Father, help us lift our eyes from the muck and the mire in which we often live and lift them, lift our gaze to heaven and focus on you and your greatness and glory and majesty and power and grace and mercy that it extends from your throne like a vast ocean. Father, let it cleanse us from sin. Let it motivate our lives. And let it captivate and fill our vision that we might live for you as Christ died and rose for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.